Rocky Top Sunrise is part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network. Follow the Holler for relentless coverage, shining a light on injustices throughout Tennessee. Find them online at tnholler.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the TN Holler. Today on Rocky Top Sunrise, Halle and I talk with Erica Dara, communications lead for Sunrise Atlanta, about the upcoming Senate runoff elections in Georgia and how crucial they are to us winning a Green New Deal. There's so much we can learn from the incredible organizing that led to Georgia's turnaround, and it gives us a lot of hope for Tennessee and the rest of the South. Be sure to do whatever you can to support Warnock and Ossoff in Georgia with your time, money, or both. Let's bring this home. One, two, one, two, three, four. Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Which side are you on now? Which side are you on? Storm surge and fires burn, but you don't hear the call. Cause fossil fuels keep paying you, does it weigh on you at all? Does it weigh on you at all? Does it weigh Hi everyone, you're listening to Rocky Top Sunrise through Sunrise Movement Tennessee and the Holler Podcast Network. My name's Holle and I use he, him pronouns and I'm on Cherokee and Shawnee land in Nashville, Tennessee. And hey, I'm Cassie. Um, I use she, her pronouns and I'm calling in from Cherokee, Chickasaw and Shawnee land just south of Nashville in Franklin, Tennessee. And it's good to be with you all. Today we're going to be talking to an amazing guest, Erica, who's the communications lead for the Georgia Hub. And the reason that we're talking with her today and kind of the reason we started this podcast in the first place was to talk about how we're building power in the South and really spreading this message that even though there's this perception that the South is just one big block of red, that's actually not the case and it hasn't been that way for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that there's so, we we talk about this in the interview, but there are so many of us that have taken a lot of inspiration from what Georgia has been able to do and the amazing organizing that has been going on in Georgia over the past, I mean, for a long time. And it's just kind of like peaked, but especially a really concentrated effort over the past few years. And it's something that we can really learn from and also just take inspiration from in terms of the potential that we have here in the South. It goes back to what we said in our first episode, quoting our friend, Victoria Manning, you know, if you win the South, you win the nation. And Georgia has shown that it is possible. There's a lot of barriers in terms of voter suppression, gerrymandering and um, other, you know, obstructions like that. But if we re-enfranchise enough people, then we have a lot of potential here. Just a quick recap, after the, at this point, the presidential election has been called for Joe Biden, so he'll be um, the next president of the United States, and one of the key factors in that were states, or the states, um, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Nevada, who all, for a while, it seemed were going to vote Republican and then um, voted for Biden instead, and at the same time, um, the Senate elections in Georgia were so close that they're now in a runoff election where they'll have a special separate election in January. Mm-hmm. So right now, um, Democrats 
Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff are running against the Republican incumbents um, for Senate in Georgia. Kelly Loeffler, who was involved in this huge insider trading scandal, sold a bunch of stock right when COVID started uh, because her husband is on the Federal Trade Commission and also incumbent David Perdue, who's the cousin of Sonny Perdue, who's the um, head of the Department of Agriculture. And they were both majorly slammed by um, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. We talk about this in the interview, um, but they were both basically attacked for trying to discredit um, the election. It's really terrible. <laughs> There's a lot of, I mean, it, there is a lot in Tennessee, but Georgia, man, they have gone through the ringer in terms of um, voter suppression <sighs> tactics and just terrible behavior from some of their GOP elected officials um, in terms of um, voter suppression and corruption. So we're really pushing to get these, to get Ossoff and um, Warnock, you know, into office so that we can get that Senate majority, which we talk a lot about in the interview. But you know, and just to to kind of like bring it back to where we're coming off from, this is the first time that we have a podcast since since the election, as Holly said. And obviously, Marquita Bradshaw did not win here in Tennessee. Um, we're very sad about that, uh, just because you know she's such an amazing candidate, and it would have meant a lot for us here. However, I will say that it was you know progress takes a long time. And we have a lot of obstacles to overcome here in Tennessee. And just based off of the numbers, it was not likely that any Democrat would have won in that race this year. Um, but Marquita, you know, I mean, I, I really hope that she runs again for something else because she's a great candidate, a great person. And um, and regardless, it's going to help us in, you know, subsequent elections, just pushing forward, um, which we need to do every single time because this stuff just takes a long time. And um, so... Yeah, and it brings more and more people into the process every time, which is fantastic. Thanks so much for being here. We hope you enjoy. With Holly and I today, we have Erica Dara calling in from the Atlanta Hub, where she's the communications lead. How's it going, Erica? I'm doing great. Yeah, super happy about the presidential election and hype for the mid for the runoff. <laughs> Hell yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a, it's, it's such a weird time that we're living through right now with like, you know, like at least for me personally, like I had so much energy built up like towards the election and like to have a lot of it resolved and satisfied to still have like the Senate runoffs. I'm like glad for the hopefulness of it and the potential that we have in Georgia, which is obviously what we're going to talk about, but just to still have some of that like pent up, like, you know, lack of resolve is bizarre. <laughs> I don't know. How are you feeling oh, yeah, with that, absolutely. Holly? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that for me, it was, it was kind of crazy because I, I got a text like pretty much as soon as um, results were coming in from, from, a, from like a bunch of different people saying like, oh, I'm so sorry, my Quita lost. And I mean, I think we kind of saw that coming. So that was, to be honest, was the main thing that I was like so personally invested in. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, after that, I was kind of like already in, um, let's prevent this coup. Yes. Mindset. 
And yeah, I'm ready to start um, calling voters in Georgia. Hell yeah. Same here. And that's definitely what we're going to talk a lot about. Um, Yeah. Erica, what are some of your thoughts on how this whole election season has played out so far? Yeah. um, So here in Georgia, um, we've known for a long time, but especially since 2018, that um, Georgia, with enough flag activation and mobilization, Georgia, we could flip Georgia, right? So Georgia has like historically been like a deeply gerrymandered and voter suppressed state. Um, and that has like been reflected in election outcomes for decades. The last time Georgia flipped blue was for Bill Clinton in 1992. Um, and that voter suppression dramatically intensified after the 2013 Supreme Court ruling that gutted the Voting Rights Act and removed the oversight by the federal government in states with a history of voter suppression, including mm. Georgia. Um, and so like immediately after that, tens of thousands of people were illegally purged from the voter rolls. Absent- and in the 2018 elections, like absentee ballots were lost, polling locations were closed, and uh, jurisdictions that uh, represented communities of color were systematically sabotaged on election day, right? With like tactics as ridiculous as like literally not sending power cords with the voting machines to districts that were primarily democratic. Um, and this resulted in like they wouldn't send enough voting machines and like there were like 10 and 12 hour long lines sometimes. Mm. Um, and of course, this was always concentrated in the like metro Atlanta area and other places that are more likely to lean towards Democrats. Um, and so in um, so we kind of we saw this like right. So politicians in Georgia and uh, other organizers and activists like totally saw this coming. Um, and so in response to the 2013 Supreme Court ruling, um, like House, or House Minority Leader Stacey Abrams founded a New Georgia Project. And this was a nonpartisan uh, organization that focused on registering voters uh, with a special focus on underserved, uh, underserved populations like communities of color, young people, voters aged 18 to 29, um, and inconsistent voters. Um, and so she and others referred to this demographic as the new majority because they represent well over half of the voters in Georgia. Um, and so like all of that, all of that was in the lead up to the uh, midterm elections. And then again, in the uh, general election in 2016. And then in 2018, Stacey Abrams ran for governor against Brian Kemp. Um, who administered his own election as Secretary so of State crazy. for just like one of three states where that's legal. Um, and this was uh, Secretary of State under former Governor Shani Perdue. Um, and like so many voter suppression tactics were employed um, during the election. And despite all of it, right, Brian Kemp barely, barely won. He won mm-hmm. by 55,000 votes. And ultimately, a couple years later, after the lawsuit about all of the tens of thousands of people who were purged from the voter rolls, the majority of them were illegally purged. So, you know, we knew like it, like watching as a progressive, as a Democrat in Georgia, watching all this happen, like, of course we knew it was illegal, but like it, like by the time he was sworn, we did it, like there was no legal like ruling until after he had been sworn in, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, just with like 55,000 votes separated them. And so like, without a doubt, um, we really do believe Stacey Abrams would have won that election without voter suppression. Um, mm-hmm. And like at that point um, in 28, after the gubernatorial election in 2018, that's when like Democrats, like national Democrats and progressives like really started to look at Georgia, right? Um, and so in response to that election being stolen, um, Stacey Abrams founded Fair Fight, 
Um, and this is a voter uh, protection organization uh, focused on historically voter suppressed states. Um, and they advocate for election reform and uh, voter education mm -hmm. um, so that uh, folks are aware of their voting rights um, and are like, like uh, more prepared when they encounter uh, those types of uh, voter suppression tactics. Gotcha. Um, and uh, yeah, so like from a historical perspective, like this election season is really when like we, the state of Georgia and the people in Georgia, the government began to like realign with the actual will of us, you know, um, and so like, uh, so yeah, like our votes have been counted and our voices have been heard and, you know, it really was pretty promising that we're going to flip the electoral college for Biden for the first time in a very long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. That's just like some amazing or organizing that went into that. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that, um, the methods of purging votes were illegal. Can you talk about like what exactly uh, like the Secretary of State and the Republicans were doing? Like why it was illegal? Totally, yeah. So um, I'm not uh, familiar enough with the ruling to know exactly what which ones were ruled as illegal. But I can, I do know is that Georgia has like a really strict voter ID law. And so specifically like the ballots that have to be signed like they want exact matches for signatures mm -hmm. from people's IDs on their ballots, which like nobody that's like people sign their name different ways all the time. Right. And so um, that was a lot of the, that was one of the ways that ballots would be invalidated. Um, but I guess from like a purging perspective, like uh, one of the tactics they use is like saying that people with same the same or similar names are the same person. And so they purge a bunch of people that mm -hmm. have those names. And so of course this ends up, overwhelmingly impacting like uh non-white people you know um and those like those populations are more likely to vote democrat mm -hmm. um and so you know there was there's there were a lot of ways that they did it and ultimately like a lot of it wasn't even legal but it like only had to last long enough for the election to happen you know um mm -hmm. cause there's like no no legal method of like addressing that right it didn't have to be legal it didn't have to be sustainable it just had to last long enough for him to be sworn in yeah yeah uh, that's I remember hearing about that and it was just mind-boggling to me first of all that he was able to preside over his own election and second of all like what what you were just saying about the voter rolls being purged um, and it disproportionately affecting non-white folks. Like another way that I heard about this manifesting, and Erica, tell me if this was like correct or not, but, um, and one of the reasons why it affected mostly non-white folks is because like, you know, not only do people sign their names in different ways, like, I mean, I know I do, like Cassie, Cassandra, like I go by Cassie, my full name's Cassandra, whatever, you know, um, but for, you know, sometimes like when people are registering to vote, they're having like an election commissioner or someone else like write it down. They're like dictating their name for them. And like, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of times those people who are like working at election commissions, like, you know, they're like white folks working at the election commissions and like someone who might have a you know, a name that isn't like super familiar to like a white person, like it's easy for them to misspell it. So it's like not even the person who's registr registering to vote's fault <laughs> that their name is misspelled on their voter registration form. Like, I don't know, I, I that was another thing that like, um, just add it to the list of all the all the reasons why it disproportionately affected um, non-white folks during this just madness that was the 2018 gubernatorial election in Georgia. 
absolutely. And like this, this voter, the voter purging happened in 2016 as well. Oh, right. Um, and it, but it was really the massive, the massive scale was in 2018 because okay. like the demographic, the, the demographic shift in Georgia over the past 10 years has been really, really dramatic. Um, and there's like more people of color in Georgia than ever before. There are more young people in Georgia than ever before. And there's kind of, there's like, you know, this huge influx of people that are more likely to vote Democrat, right? So like the Republican party knew this was coming and like, you know, my, like their, their strategy of minority rule, they were kind of losing their grip on it. And so that's when mm. they really cracked down and did it yeah um what are some of the like i mean there's been a ton of organizing i know you've mentioned stacy abrams quite a few times and i think that she deserves a lot of credit for the organizing that she's done um so you so but what are some of the organizations in addition to her um and individuals and you know some of the strategies that they've used that you attribute georgia's turnaround to yeah absolutely so um of course new georgia and fair are like here, um, but organizations that were had less press attention are uh, Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda and Georgia Strategic Alliance for New Direction and Unified Policies. And that group of organizations was very much responsible for the vision and strategy of how to flip Georgia. Um, and then Georgia also like also reported a like the Latinx vote in Georgia doubled in 2020 compared to 2016, and that effort was largely uh, led by uh, Voto Latino, and there um, were, was also a lot of support from national organizations as well. Um, and then Georgia also uh, holds the title in 2020 for the largest youth turnout in the country. Wow! Um, and with uh, that effort was led by Campus Vote Project, Students for 2020, and Opportunity Youth United. And y'all, Georgia reported 74% voter participation in 2020, which is unbelievable, okay? I think it was 74%, oh but like either way, like ridiculous, right? Like that never happens. And that's like within the, um, like, like we haven't, the United States, it was like the estimate is like 65% voter participation for the 2020 election. And the last right. time this happened was like in 1908. Yeah, you know? I remember so reading it's that. Very, like very loud, resounding, like uh, undeniable uh, kind <laughs> of like change that's happening here, right? <laughs> wow. I think obviously we're not uh, seeing the same kind of really amazing, awesome numbers happen in Tennessee, but I think that um, a, the, a lot of people just kind of view states in the South as like, oh, it's just like all red. And mm -hmm. we're totally seeing that that's like not the case. Like even, especially among young people, um, we're seeing people not only vote more, but realize that the conditions that we're being like forced into are just like not acceptable. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like something that's like, of course, Georgia flipping blue for the first time in my lifetime. And, you know, we have the potential for flipping the Senate to something else. Like, you know, something happened in Georgia in 2018 and it like reverberated around the country and really like made progressives look. And the fact that we won here this time, like, I really do believe that like a lot of other states in the South are voter suppressed, right? And it's yes. not necessarily like the political outcomes are not necessarily reflective of the will of the people and you know watching what we pulled off in Georgia here uh, I think that will really inspire other um, people who feel really disempowered 
and other organizations and like further collaboration between like over 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 state borders right to like begin to do what happened here across the country yeah we can i mean it's it's the it's one of the main topics i mean not only because you all are in the runoffs but just like the potential of like what that could mean for states like ours and other states in the south i mean like it, it it just that's all that people have been talking about in progressive circles here, you know, since the election is like, how do we turn Tennessee into Georgia? How can we implement these strategies in our own state? And I think that, um, you know, I mean, it's a testament to the to the strategies and the just relentless organizing of the folks of all the folks that you just mentioned. And I I also think that it does it also comes down to investment. Like Stacey Abrams became like a national celebrity, and I'm so glad that she did because she got a lot of like investment into these organizations that created um, or that she created. You know that that helped um, to bring about this change. And I mean, again, there were many others as well. But uh, but that's one thing. Like you know, I've heard people say, oh well, like you all in Tennessee, you just need a Stacey Abrams. And I'm like, we have some Stacey Abrams is here. They just need, you know, some investment. They need more money, more resources, that sort of thing. I mean, I'm just thinking like off the top of my head about like the Equity Alliance and the work that Turk does. It's the Tennessee Immigrant Refugee uh, Rights Coalition and, um, you know, many, mm-hmm. many others. And um, and so we've got, you know, of course we can always use more organizers, but we've got good folks on the ground here. Um, but, you know, if anybody from out of state is listening to this, like just invest in those organizations because we could do the same in Tennessee because, you know, of course they're like, I, I, the way that I look at Tennessee and a lot, you know, a decent amount of this, of the South is of course, I mean, there's a lot of red here, like that does exist, but there's so much disenfranchisement, so much voter suppression, so much gerrymandering. Um, and then people that are just like, I mean, I guess this is a form of disenfranchisement, but just sick of the process, you know? Um, yep. And just haven't seen the results that like would make them want to get out and vote and think that it actually is like useful and like it's a utility for them, um, that it would affect their material conditions. And so um, that's something that we're really combating here as well. And I'm just so inspired by the work that you all have done and hoping that we can do the same thing for Tennessee just over the course, hopefully of the next decade, you know, it obviously takes time, but I'm hoping that we can turn it around um, because we've there's so much potential, especially like you know, just in and around Memphis. I think that that just really needs to be a central part of our political strategy moving forward. But that's just my two cents. I was kind of wondering, um, Erica, what what it's like or what the vibe is um, both like in the hub and on the ground uh, as far as like looking toward the runoffs and then I guess like looking to the future. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can say personally, like during the uprisings and over the summer, like, you could feel that something was about to happen here. Um, and so as soon as, you know, like the, it was, it's really wild, right? Because the scale of the early voting and absentee voting, personally, I can't prove this, but like having been on the ground vote tripling and like watching Twitter and like trying to figure out where we should go to like be most effective, like the scale of early voting and um, absentee voting, like there just weren't a lot of lines, you know, like there just was like a whole, like the, the, the weight of like the methods of voting had kind of shifted. Um, and so like, like when we were on the ground, we kind of felt like that was probably a good thing, right? Cause like one of the primary methods of voter suppression in Georgia is to make the lines absurdly long mm-hmm. and people just can't stay, you know? 
Um, and that really matters when the governor wins by a margin of 55,000 votes. You know, that's right. like a few people throughout the day at different polling locations just giving up, you know. Um, and so, like, I mean, the vibe. Is, so we were literally we had the protect the results uh, like actions planned around the country on Saturday. And like, that's where I was. And that's where a lot of us were when like we got we learned that Biden had won had won the election. And like within like five minutes, because I had the I was like, of course, like so many people like obsessively watching the results net. There was this like number you could text that it would just like tell you when the election had been called. And so I had texted that just like for my own mental health instead of like waiting all the time. And so as soon as I got that text, like within like five minutes, like people started honking their horns and they were like celebrating in the streets and it was amazing. Um, and so like, I mean, the vibe is definitely like electric and people are ready to go, you know? Um, and so within sunrise, it's kind of like, uh, or within our sunrise hub, it's kind of like, you know, the calm before the storm, you know, where we're kind of like getting leveled out after the general election and like turning to, um, our strategy, working on our strategy with national, um, about how we're going to, what role we like are most, uh, able and qualified to play in this because like one of the most important things right now is to like follow the lead of the organizations that laid the groundwork for us mm. to get here right um and that's something that we're extremely aware of um and like our you know we have our we have our vision for what our role will be but our we're definitely um definitely like taking a breath and then like getting ready for the next marathon through january yeah awesome yeah what are some of the I, I, I mean, I know that this might still be a conversation with national that you all are having, but um, can you say anything about like what that strategy might be moving forward? Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like one of the things Sunrise is like, especially like able to do is engage young white people to mm-hmm. like record, to like participate in the voting, not only participate in the voting process, but also like kind of figure out why or not why, I mean, we know why, but like, you know, uh encourage voters who may not have participated because okay so sorry let me back up a little bit so there was like a huge disparity in the voting uh the voting like uh the way that white voters white young people voted compared to young voters of color um and so that's something that we really hope to like think about how we can impact right um, even if that, like, if that is, especially if that involves, like, specifically working to turn out more voters that are likely to vote Democrat. Um, and, uh, you know, beyond that, we have, like, Sunrise's ridiculous <laughs> distributed and digital organizing uh, strategies and tactics that um, we believe will probably will be used uh, to help uh, not just Georgia uh, Sunrise members, but also, like, Sunrisers across the country to be able to really plug in and, like, play our part um, in the runoff. And uh, something that I, I hope that we are able to do is kind of like zoom out from Metro Atlanta, which is where the resources are going to be extremely saturated, right? Like everybody mm-hmm. focuses on Metro Atlanta and the immediate suburbs because those are the ones that reliably vote Democrat. But like the blue has been spreading from the cities for like several years. And that, mm-hmm. that, that, that trend has continued um, into 2020. And like, you know, one of the things we don't have, we don't have like a solid, like defined strategy at this point, but some of our conversations have definitely included, like, how do we engage people in more rural areas or like the people that are in like the suburbs of the suburbs, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, the places that like mass transit doesn't necessarily go to and like are also written off as red districts. Um, And, you know, I mean, I know that before, I mean, I've been 
deeply politically engaged for like 10 years, but also like have had to, had to like challenge the thought of like, I live in a red county, like, why does my vote matter on local elections? And like, that's part of like voter suppression, right? It's like, you have to address the internal voter suppression. And, you know, like, I mean, like engage in uh, encouraging apathy in young people. is like literally a, like extensive voter suppression tactic, you know, and like that can really make a huge difference um, if we like uh, focus on reaching out to the people who feel like they don't matter, you know. Yeah. I really appreciate that you brought that up because it makes their job a lot easier if we suppress ourselves. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, and it's something that's like beyond voter suppression is used uh, to like kind of, you know, there's like self-censoring that becomes involved in culture and everything. And like, you know, like we have to, you know, that, that reflex to, that reflex to um, like comply and be complacent, like that's engineered. Like we definitely don't have to do that. Yeah, definitely. Completely agree with that. That's something that's really subtle, but also important to combat that sometimes gets overlooked. Um, mm-hmm. So this is probably something that's, you know, I, I think that a lot of people will, un- will, will understand the nature of why the Senate is so important, but if you could just kind of lay out in simple terms, why are these runoffs so crucial for winning a Green New Deal? Absolutely. Okay. So um, the importance of the Senate runoffs right now, like, cannot be overstated. Um, right now, Republicans still hold the majority in the Senate. And Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell will, as of right now, like, would remain majority leader um, unless we flip the Senate. And of course, we can expect that a McConnell majority will continue to stonewall everything um, <laughs> yes. like they have since, like, Democrats took the House, right? Um, or like had enough of a majority in the house to like be able to really do things. Um, and so like if Democrats don't gain control of the Senate this year, but they do manage to gain it in 2022, serious damage will already be done, you know, because the first two years of a presidential administration, like that's when the cabinet members are selected. That's when like the tone is really set. And uh, like that will define the scope and scale of change that we can expect or hope for from an administration. Um, and so like, I, there's already been statements that have come out that like a McConnell Senate will not like even consider, uh, confirming anybody that isn't a centrist, conservative leaning centrist, you know, those people are not our friends, you know, um, and that will seriously hinder our efforts at beginning to address climate change on the scale of the crisis that we face. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like, you know, just like get a little bit more grounded right like neither of the democratic candidates in georgia support the green new deal but they do both recognize that climate change is an existential threat to life on this planet and they both include like um like they both include climate change addressing climate change as part of their uh their campaign platform um and so like even though the candidates that we have aren't perfect like we're our movement stands a much better chance at uh, being able to pressure the federal government into transformative action uh, if we secure a democratic Congress, right? And so like, you know, within Sunrise and like within the left in general, like we're very aware that like one politician isn't gonna save us, but our ability to pressure like the democratic party and the left, the liberal, like liberals in general to think bigger and like think like on the scale of the crisis we face, like we have a much better chance at being able to pull that off if we have a fully democratic government. 
we have a lot more wiggle room with those guys than we would with a couple of Republicans in office. I mean, just thinking about our own Republican senators here in Tennessee and all of them, quite frankly, let yep. vote, vote across party lines. I mean, um, we'll just have a lot more wiggle room in, term, in terms of pressuring them to pass a Green New Deal. Um, and yeah, within as I think that's such a good point, too, that within those first two years of office of Biden's administration, those are you know, that's when an administration has the most political capital that they'll ever have. And so to have the House, the Senate and the White House during those first two years is really crucial. And especially because we're starting, you know, um, we're, we're in the decade of the Green New Deal. This is we're, we're, we're definitely approaching a wall in terms of, um, you know, how much time we have to get this going. So the I mean, we're already late to the game, so we've got to get started now. <laughs> Obviously, there's a lot to be excited for, and also that's like super scary because um, we know that obviously progressives and Democrats are going to be focusing a lot of attention on um, the coming runoffs, but so are the Republicans because I mean they want to win also. Um, so something that we like to ask is what gives you hope and. Um, yeah, what are you guys preparing for and what do you envision for Georgia under a Green New Deal? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like my first thought when they called, uh, they called, well, for my first thought when they, like when Biden took the lead and like knowing the way that they were counting the ballots and realizing that like that as soon as Biden took the lead, that was pretty much it, right? Um, and like as soon as that happened, like my first thought was like, wow, like we pulled this, all of this off, like with the left, like scattered across the country, trying to do the whole thing, you know? And then like, it feels like now, like the left is like swarming over Georgia. And like, I am really so excited to see what we, like to see what we can all pull off together. And like, like the, the scale of the change that will happen here. And so I think one of the things that like, I find really inspiring is how dramatically like the political power and the will and the morale of voters in Georgia is going to shift because of this right and so even including people who didn't vote in the general election because they didn't think it would matter clearly it matters right like right. obviously we're doing a thing right now and so like I mean we do know that the Republicans are doing the thing that they're doing and like you know trying to inspire a lack of uh lack of um like belief in the election and both of our senators have like both Loeffler and Purdue have like both claimed that like both said that like this uh, secretary of state should resign uh, because of the way that the election went even though like Georgia's pretty quick to claim voter fraud but even the secretary of state and lieutenant governor are like that literally did not happen and you need to stop saying that because it's not true you know for and them after, like saying over the that yeah and then they filed so like one of the other things the crazy thing to happen is like you know when as the votes were being counted like the trump campaign started filing lawsuits all over the country right, right. and so one of the lawsuits that they filed was um one of the lawsuits that they filed was in chatham county georgia um in in an effort to uh like interfere with the way that mail-in ballots were being counted and like a federal judge in georgia just said no like you can't <laughs> sue unless a law has been broken and there's no evidence for that so no go home um they've and been so, laughed out like, of court all over the country it's ridiculous it's just it's ridiculous and like for a secretary a fully like hardcore like republican government in the state of georgia that has like shamelessly voter suppressed for decades to say actually no like you there's no evidence for that right and so like ajc is uh, the atlanta journal constitution also like 
above their like uh like title banner in the past couple of days had like like had a had a, a section that was like calling out Loeffler and Purdue for like attempting to undermine democracy mm-hmm. by making false claims about voter fraud and illegality of the election. And, you know, there's just this, like, even within the Republican Party, there's just, like, this seismic shift of, like, what are y'all actually doing? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's, like, I don't, I mean, that's one of the things that I think about is, like, I don't, how do you come back from, like, trying to invalidate an election that was, like, has been witnessed by, like, international observers who are saying that the primary problem is coming from the, like, campaign that lost, you know? Right. Um, So if they actually would suffer political consequences, like we don't allow them to suffer the appropriate political consequences for this bullshit. But anyway, please continue. No, absolutely. And so like, I mean, I, I'm most excited personally about how hopeful people are going to be. Um, And I, I would like to believe that, um, you know, as hard as Democrats turned out, for the general elections, uh, that many people are going to turn out for the runoffs and then more because, you know, they're so like, believe that we have the power to change things at this point. Yeah. Because yeah. we did it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And the thing is like, one other, one other thing I would add is like, you know, one of my, part of, part of my like hope in all of this is that it wasn't just, um, the government, it wasn't just, uh, the president and the, um, the Senate, the Senate that went to runoff. There are also like a couple of um, state level offices that went to runoff that hadn't even had a, somebody challenge the incumbent Republican in years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's super powerful because people are voting down ballot, you know? And like, I mean, there's a lot of seats that don't even get challenged in Georgia and in other states in the South because they just assume that Republicans are going to win. In a lot of cases in local elections, they're right, you know? But like, I mean, tr- giving people like, like uh, you know, beginning to beginning to challenge that like uh, that firewall of of like you know lack of engagement and uh, like you know assuming that there's not going to be change. Like I I really think that you know we we have beginning to win like the the war on our consciousness in the state and hopefully in the south. You know, because like I would really like to believe that you know cracking Georgia is like cra- beginning to crack open the south, and I think that's part yeah. of why. I would imagine that that's part of why the Republican Party is just like, wow, <laughs> we are not prepared for this. <laughs> I love that. I love the fear that you're giving them. That's amazing. Um, well, what can what can people do like us in Tennessee? Because we're, we're not that far. So a lot of us are talking about going and canvassing um, with these campaigns and helping you all. But obviously, there are ways that we can help um, from here as well. What, what can we do to support you all? Sure. Yeah. So. Um, we are the first, the first thing we'd like to say is please respect the leadership of the organizations that laid the foundation for this moment. Um, so like, we do not need, like, like, we don't need people coming in to like, try to run over the folks that have been doing this work. We don't need people from out of state trying to tell, not us, because like, not us, but like, like the organizers on the ground, like how mm-hmm. to do the thing in Georgia. <laughs> So that's like just something to keep in mind is like, you know, with all the excitement and enthusiasm, like remember that, you know, we're not the front line, you know, we're the backup. And, um, you know, we can always donate to the organizations like Fair Fight New Georgia Project and all of these other wonderful uh, community groups. Um, Donate to Warnock and Ossoff campaigns so that they can pay more people to help them. 
um, and pay for more ads and all of that. Uh, volunteer to phone banking tech sync, of course, donate supplies um, like personal protective equipment so that canvassers and other uh, like uh, organization officials can stay safe and help others stay safe. Um, but that's like, that's the biggest thing, right? Is like, you know, there's, there's a ton of people that are coming. There's, there's a ton of people that are coming. There's a ton of resources that are coming here. And, you know, the most like, you know, uh, there's like we there's already a plan right so like tuning right. into what the folks that have been like uh creating this like they know what to do so we just need to like line up behind them <laughs> support right we'll definitely keep folks appraised i know that you know you all are working with national to kind of come up with maybe you know a more easily easily um a, a plan that's easily to dis- or easy to disseminate <laughs> to folks around yeah, the country absolutely. so we'll, yeah as soon we'll as keep we know people updated. as soon as we know like nat sunrise is gonna like sunrise right. like georgia's seriously on the map for sunrise national so like as soon as we right. know like we're it'll be the work will go out yeah cool thank you so much for talking with us today it's been awesome to hear from you and so exciting to see so much Um, crazy momentum happening in Georgia and hopefully going through the rest of the South. Thank you so much for uh, having me and uh, talking about Georgia and super like really, really looking forward to how this like inspires other organizations and movements across the South. Me too. Yeah, this is really inspiring. Thank you so much, Erica, for joining us. Thanks for listening to Rocky Top Sunrise. We are part of the Tennessee Holler Podcast Network, network of progressive podcasts talking about progressive issues in Tennessee and across the South. You can find us at tnholler.com or you can follow the holler at the TN Holler on all of our social media platforms. This was also brought to you by Sunrise Movement Tennessee. And you can find us at Sunrise MVMTTN. This is Rock the Top Sunrise, brought to you every other Friday. And next week, we'll be talking about... We don't have to do this. I don't know. (laughs) We don't have to do that part. (laughs) I don't know what we'll be talking about next week. I don't know what we'll be talking about. (laughs) This part will be cut out. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe I'll leave it in. (laughs) Maybe Cassie will leave it in. That would be funny. This is kind of funny. If anybody has stuck with us this long, you'll see. Just wait and see what we talk about in two weeks. We need to get organized. <laughs> in two weeks, I'll be back in the closet because I'll be home. That's exciting for me. Oh, I like in the closet this time. Um, it is. I, I sidetrack. I recently, I'm in a fiction writing class right now, and the story that I am currently revising is, a, I was, my goal was to convey the feeling of coming out of the closet. Ooh, I like that. That's awesome. It's a good feeling. Scary. It is a good feeling. (laughs) Anyway. Tune in in two weeks to hear about queer coming out stories.